mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Your Bible's with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We began chapter 4 last week and really... Again, sanctification, really the context of everything after salvation, not just for Peter down the corridors of time, but for you and I, all that we should be doing is encouraging and exhorting and helping others in their sanctification. That's what we're called to do. That's what the letter is written for. That's what our instruction is for. And that's what our gifting is for. Is that if we've come to salvation, the Spirit of God comes in, baptizes us into the body of Christ, and then the Spirit of God wants to take us further. Not just salvation, but sanctification so that we can get to glorification. So then the Spirit of God wants to give us gifts. Or a gift, some people would say, the caresses of God or the spirituals of God. And he wants us to learn to walk in that gift, to use that gift, to minister to everybody else using that gift to help sanctify them. So he says to stop living according to what we were used to living. To put on the mind of Christ, the thoughtfulness of Christ, the co-perception of Christ. Put on the heart of God, the word of God. All of these would be synonymous. When we begin to do what God is doing on the planet by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Stop living. Uh, he says there in verse 2 that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh. For the lust of men, but for the will of God. We want to, if we have salvation, begin to do the will of God for our life. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has salvation that's been set apart to the precious blood of Jesus for every person ever born. But when you're reborn... You come back underneath the authority of God. You come back into the house of God. And in the house of God, God always gives you a chore. But he gives you a supernatural enablement in order to be able to do it. You and I have been called to be the body of Christ. And as we begin to obey, of course we had baptisms a couple weeks ago. One of the first steps of real after salvation is to go and do a public commitment that we have decided to follow the authority of God's word and no longer follow sin, self, or Satan. 
no longer following the other voices, but learning to articulate and hear the voice of God because it lines up with the Word of God, and then we go and do the will of God for the glory of God. So we've been called to sanctification also, and really salvation is that, sanctified, you're set apart uh, for God's will. That's the first place of our position. And then uh, the second part is to start to become like. Listen, if God's doing something, He has all the power in the universe, shouldn't we get involved in what He is doing? Think about it. It's hard to swim against the current, but God is moving this way. God is saving souls. God is sanctifying souls. God wants to glorify souls. And we've said, Lord, I want to be a part of that. Lord, I want to come back underneath your authority. So he says, okay, here's a gift. Here's some talents. Here's some strength. Here's some power in the spirit. Use that for my glory. And he's always there. He says, as many as are led by the spirit... These are the children of God, Romans 8, 14. So it's so important for us to recognize that nothing anymore is flesh. Nothing anymore is in the carnal sense. But everything that we do in now, we are now spirits. We have a spiritual kingdom. We're in, we're, we have a spiritual realm. We're in a spiritual war. We serve a spiritual God. We are spirits in a body. And our spirit has been married to God once again, back in his family. And he's called us, and he gives us a choice to do our part. So he said in verse 4, 7, and that's where we're going to begin today. Uh, I know we covered 7 and 8 last week, just gingerly. But we're going to start again in 4, 7 for our text today. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. We need your mercy and grace. We need you to direct us and lead us by your spirit so that we could be serious, sober-minded, not drunk with the lust of men and the carnality of this world, but sober, walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, filled with the spirit, so that we can do your will for your glory for such a time as now. Speak to our hearts and give us clear understanding of our identity and our place in the body of Christ. Help us to hear your voice and follow you. Thank you that you know us. Help us to follow you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, 4-7 
we are given this warning, but the end of all things is at hand. Now, the, the, the word, it means a limit at which a thing ceases to be. It's the conclusion. Um, it's to, to set out at a definite point or a goal. It's a point aimed at. Now, so, so some people have said that Peter is actually referring to and speaking about the end of the Mosaic system, the end of the temple, the end of what they know it to be then. And, and if he is, he is. But down the corridor of time, you and I need to understand that the end, the end, the very end, the point that God has pointed to of all things is at hand. Get a calculator. Somebody got one? Uh, push in A-L-L. How much is all? It's everything. It's everything. All things. The point. It doesn't mean that we're not going to go on. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have any more future because spirits are eternal. But the end of all this physical is at hand. Listen to me. And when you think about that, you don't have to go, oh, no. See, that's where people go. Judgment. No. The end of pain, suffering, tears, sickness, heartache. The end of our carnal flesh. It, it, we're reaching the end. We're getting closer to it. We're, 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 we're coming to the place. Now listen, you might say, oh, you're saying the world's going to end? No, I'm not, I, I'm not a prophet. I work for a nonprofit organization. I don't know when the end is coming. I can see the signs of the times. But listen, I don't know how old you are. I'm pushing 60. I, I, the Bible says poetically 70, 80 years. The end of all things is coming close whether the world's ending or not. You don't have much time. We don't have much time. Even if you're 10, you don't have much time. And it's time to be serious and sober-minded. And so as you think about the fact that there's not much more time, you start to think about, well, what should I be putting my time into then? How should I be making the most of my time? How should I be walking circumspectly because the days are evil? I should be finding out the will of the Lord is and walking in it. What's his will for my life? This is the place that he's at. Not being drunk, not, not going back to the former lust, the former vomit, the former death life. Not learning to listen to everything else, but learning to draw closer to God and listen to God. Now he says, therefore be serious or sober and watch in your prayers. Now I'm going to remind you again, because a lot of times we have really distorted prayer. Like we got a credit card or we're asking the good old boy upstairs. Prayer means worship. Prayer means worship. And worship is proskuneo. It means to, to, to bow down as if, licking, as if a dog licking its master's hand. We are fully dependent upon God for everything that pertains to life and godliness. And if we try to use our own resources or listening to, to, to self or sin or Satan, we'll be led astray and then we're not sober-minded. We're not serious. There's, there's some things going on where our mind is in co-perception or in the same mind of Christ. 
Think about how serious he had to be, how sober he had to be, how spirit-led he had to be, knowing that he was going to lay down his life for the sins of the world. And his flesh was pulling because he wanted to stay with the boys. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to go through the pain. But he knew for this purpose he was called. What purpose are you called for? See, nobody is called into God's house. Nobody comes to salvation just to be saved from fire. You've been called for a purpose, for a reason. You become part of a body. You know, I don't know what everything in my body or about my body inside and out is for. Some of the things I'm like, what? What's a pancreas do? You know, I, I, I'm just a hillbilly. I don't know biology. But every part of the body, just like every part of my body, it does something to make sure my body is working. Right? So it, God uses perfect analogies when he calls us the body of Christ. And Christ is the head. He's the one where we get our mind from, our, our orders from, the word of God, the voice of God, right? And so now we become a part of the body. And it doesn't matter whether you're the armpit or you're the mouth or you're the eyes or you're the hands. We all become part of the body. And we're supposed to be doing our part. We're supposed to be serious Sober-minded, watching in our prayer, prayers, which is worship. I become dependent upon God, so everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, I make my request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Listen, are you being serious? Are you being watchful? Are you even praying? See, the end of all things is at hand, and it should draw us closer to God. It should cause us to want to be purified and sanctified since glorification is coming closer. I always use the analogy in prison, we used to play poker. And we play these games that lasted like 20 days, you know, of poker. We call it uh, state pay. We play for, for the money that the state was paying us. And I, and I know you don't know this, and it means nothing to you. But at the end of the game, when you're winning 20 or 30 cartons of cigarettes, it's quite a bit of money, and, and you're the house. You don't lighten up. You tighten up. That's what we'd say to each other. We'd have partners, and we'd be like, hey, dude, dude, don't sit down there and lighten up. Because we're reaching the end. You need to tighten up. We've already won all this money, and we want to keep this money. See, and, you, and we see all this going on in the kingdom of God. You don't want to lighten up now that we're seeing the end of the age. Oh, it's the end of the age. Let's all live like the world. It's the end of the age. Let's stop doing what God called us to do. Hey, I'm getting older. I can just lay back and relax on my laurels. No. No, it's time to tighten up. The older saints are supposed to be training the younger saints. And we see in the church today that nobody's getting trained. Listen, it's, that's not an indictment. That's just that we have walked away from the Word of God. It's just a sober truth. It's a serious truth that everybody just is concerned about self, and that's it. All I'm concerned about is myself. I, I, I. This is what the psychology of the world has taught us, to only be concerned about self, my bank account, my house, my, ch my church, my pastor. We just take everything and make it mine, mine, mine. Guess what? It all belongs to God. You don't own nothing. You're not even your own. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus if you're part of the body of Christ. It's not I, I, I. And if all we focus upon is self, my problems, what I did, 
Let's talk about me. That's what the devil did. Listen to me. Our lives are supposed to be God-centered. So the biggest subject on our hearts should be always God. You know, when, when the world's talking about CRT, critical race theory, we should be talking about critical sin theory. It's not a theory. It's the truth. We're all born in sin. When they talk about slavery and act like that's the problem, we should say, you're exactly right. It's slavery to sin, and you don't know God. We should take them back to be God-centered. Others-oriented, always others first. If you're always only on yourself first and you don't even consider, well, I mean, think about this. Do you even consider, I should say, how your life is affecting other lives when God's called us to give ourselves away? How's your life affecting your neighbors? How is your life affecting your friends? How is your life affecting your coworkers? How does your life affect others? Don't know, don't care, still worried about mine. Right, that's death. That's death. Where does depression come from? Don't know, don't care, just worried about mine. That's where it comes from. All you're concerned about is focusing on self. Where does cancer come from? Don't know, don't care, only worried about myself. That's where it comes from. When cells in your body stop worrying and doing what they're supposed to be doing and all they do is focus on self, they call it cancer. Just turns into self and feeds on self. And they have to cut it off. They have to get rid of it. They have to take drastic matters. I mean, God's analogies are perfect. You can take them wherever you want to the furthest point you want and God's analogies still work. He's God. We're not. God-centered, putting Him first, then others, and then yourself. It's, it's, the, it's the formula for living the Christian life. Because we're crucified. We're dead. Now, that doesn't mean, because see, some people will take that and they'll, and there's that balance that, because you don't want to forget to do what you need to do to take care of your family. You don't want to forget to do what you need to do to make sure. But listen, you can go to the extreme because God, God's got you. God already knows. God will take care of you. But have you ever considered how your life affects other people? Have you ever considered that God wants your life to affect other people? Have you ever considered that God give you everything you need to be an ambassador, to be a witness, to go out and apply your gift in the world to tell people about Jesus Christ? And the only thing we have to do is get out of the boat we're in and stop looking at self, sin, and Satan and start looking at God. And I do mean that. See, Satan wants you to stay focused on self. What did he do with Eve? God's holding out on you. He didn't give her nothing except a lie. He got her to look someplace other than where she was looking before for provision and to question the Word of God. And, and when you're looking at self, I mean, listen, when you're looking at your sin, your sin's paid for. Your sin's over with. Your sin's powerless. God doesn't even judge you according to your sin anymore. He's judging you according to your works, your ergon, your occupation, what you're doing now that you become a Christian. Because it's already been judged at the cross. Yet Satan wants you to stare at your sin. Satan wants you to stay focused on your sin and say, well, that disqualifies me. Listen, we all got sin. We all are disqualified. None of us are qualified in and of ourselves to live a spiritual life. 
yet we've been called to do it, and only through the blood of Jesus. You can't do it on your own, and if you do, it becomes religion, and you'll miss God. Notice it says in the text, it says over in um, 11b, if anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, which God furnishes. So you can't do anything in the spiritual realm as a spirit that has been married to God's spirit unless you do it according to God's plan, according, according to God's power, God's strength, God's word. It's, it's, it's already planned. It's already done. It's already finished. So are you praying? That's the first place in worship for God, to pray. To learn to literally be dependent upon God for everything. I used to fix something. And my mom would say, how did you learn to fix that? I go, I, I didn't. I just prayed. I, I, I know somebody that knows how to fix everything. I just pray. And God would give me wisdom either to fix it or call somebody that knew how to fix it. Or have the wisdom to say, wait a minute, I better leave this alone. I better take it to a professional. Prayer is a place where we learn to walk by faith. Prayer is a place where we learn to be dependent upon God. Prayer becomes an exercise of not religious service, but of bowing down and humbling ourselves before God, looking to Him for all of our needs. And in that humility, then He begins to lift you up. In that dependency, He begins to fill you with His Spirit and give you the things that you need to minister your gifting to others but it has to be done by faith and verse 8 and above all things that means above all things have fervent love for one another that's others that's one another considering one another praying for one another carrying one another's burdens the one another ministry of the body of Christ for love will cover a multitude of sins Charity. Now it makes sense. Oh, now it makes sense. And above all things, have fervent charity for one another. Now it makes more sense. See, because we look at charity, and we're like, no, I don't take charity. I'll do my own stuff. I don't take no charity. But the Bible tells us to have charity. So you've got to humble yourself in order to let somebody give you charity. You've got to humble yourself in order to, let, to give somebody charity because you're giving your stuff away. See, charity is the word we look at today, and we're like, oh, that's charity, huh? God calls that love. And he wants us to be fervent in it, earnest with it, unselfish with it, giving it away all the time, taking care of the needs of others. Fervent. Fervent actually means without ceasing, but it also means stretching out. See, because a lot of people don't mind giving, but they don't want to stretch out. A lot of people don't mind serving, but they don't want to stretch out. If it interferes with my life, my schedule, I'm not stretching out. But fervent love means to stretch out way further than what we can do. See, because if you can do it in the natural, if you say, well, that'll fit, that'll work, I can do that, like our culturanity does today then it's of yourself, it's not of God. So you got to go beyond where you're at and stretch out and do more. 
And listen, now most people be like, oh, yeah, so you want me to give more money. We're not talking about money. We're talking about the body of Christ loving others and being ambassadors. It's got nothing to do with money. That's carnal, physical. We're talking about spiritual. We're way above that. When you think God is broke, there's a problem with your Christianity. God owns everything, and God's able to take everything and put it where he wants. He's God. And he wants us to come underneath that authority and understand by faith the strength and supply and power that he's given us. And he wants us to do it fervently. So it's outside of self, dead to self, not in control by self, not in control by the parameters of this world, not in controls of what you think is natural, but it's supernatural. This is agape love he's talking about, agape charity. This is where it has to be done in the spirit. It cannot be done in the physical. Hey, we need some volunteers. We need some ministers. You know what? Every hand in the room should go up. Because all of us have been called to function in our gifts. And there's only two kinds of gifts. Speaking gifts and service gifts. That's the only gifts there is. So we should all be ready to be stretched out. To have fervent love for one another. But we're so caught up on ourselves because the devil's got us looking in the wrong place. Instead of looking to God and trusting God and knowing that God's got this. And he's coming back to get us and he's left us here for a purpose. Not just to enjoy the carnival around us. The word carnal comes from carnival. The word carnival comes from carnal. They're related. And so it's no surprise that the world wants us chasing carnivals instead of chasing souls. It's no surprise that entertainment is what rules instead of our life in eternity. Our spirit and where it's going to live. It's no surprise that we want to be served instead of serve others when our flesh is on the throne. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That many is the word whomsoever. Whomsoever would hear his voice and follow. Whomsoever would join in his plan of salvation and be led by his spirit. That's why I always preach against people saying that, oh, I said a prayer. You know, most pastors will actually say, if you don't know the day you got saved, then there's an issue. You might not be saved. I think that's an upside down lie. Do you know the day that you begin to surrender to God? Do you know the day that you begin to follow and obey? This is an impossibility. God is drawing you. He's slowly moving you. He's using all of life's circumstances to get you there. Now, you might know the day you went forward at church, but that might not be the day of salvation. It might be the day that you publicly proclaim salvation. That's why I don't get mad about altar calls. I don't do them because I don't believe in them because I believe they set you up for false salvation. When you begin to follow God and trust God and get into his word, it's just a natural thing that the spirit will do. Then you'll know that you're saved. 
Because if you're still eating from the pods of the field, if you're still going out and doing what the prodigal son is doing, you could be in trouble. You need to come to your senses. But when you do, the father will come running to you. See, I just think we have a lot of culturanity. And I get in trouble for this. I had somebody tell me the other day, Greg, we're not against you. We're on your side. And I'm like, I know that. I'm not against you. I'm on your side. But I'm also on God's side, and I'm going to proclaim the word of God the way it's, it's spoken in the Bible and not the way the culture proclaims it, not the way that commentaries proclaim it. I don't want to be an a echo of somebody else's words and keep preaching it because I see in the Old Testament, listen to me, all of them were echoing what other teachers said. They were not doing anything but telling other people lies because they were so far away from the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying every other pastor is telling lies. But just because I say something about this scripture that doesn't line up with what Christianity or culturanity has been teaching for the last hundred years does not mean it's false. Because God is uncovering, He's revealing, He's showing us more and more every day what the Scripture says. What do you think people said when, you know, prior to May 14th, 1948, about Israel? There wasn't even a nation prior to May 14th, 1948. Okay, let's take it back to 1900. What did they do? Well, they came up with some crazy notion that the church was replacing Israel. That's how you come up with false doctrine is when you don't understand and just teach God's word for its truth and let him deal with what's going to happen afterwards. But I'm not against anybody either, but I'm for God. And if nobody else goes, I'm still for God. If nobody else is on my side, I'm still for God. It's that simple. If you don't agree with me and the word of God says that, I'm still for God. I'm still for his voice. I don't care. Me and God is a minority, or excuse me, is a majority. And that's the way we should live. And fervent love for others, listen, it's just like God's love that covered a multitude of sins. The whole world's sin. He sent his love down here. He sent his heart down here, who was wrapped in flesh and hung on a cross and died for us. And if we call ourselves the people of God, when somebody offends us, we shouldn't be going, that's it, I'm done with that, people. We should be covering also. The greatest attribute that we can have is to forgive sin, to forgive others, to give grace and mercy, and to continue to try to help them be sanctified, to help them to grow, to keep reaching out to them. But what do we do? We cut them off. Now, I listen, let's, whoa, let's back to this horse up just a little bit. Whoa. If they insist on practicing sin, if they insist on that they're okay because they've been set free and they can do what they want, now I'm going to say, okay, well, have a nice day. That's not true. We've been set free to follow Jesus, not to follow sin. But now if they're sinning and they're messing up and they're fighting with it, I'm ready to encourage them. I'm ready to help them because that's what the Spirit of God is doing, helping us to grow in our identity, exhorting us to run the race and stop looking at the world and to live in the Spirit. And to believe God and to understand that God is here with us to help us to stop listening to the lies of the wicked one, the lies of sin, the lies of our own flesh that lies to us and leads us astray. But we got to set our mind 
on heavenly things. If you don't turn your mind, that's what repentance is, metanoia, to think differently afterwards. How can we say we're saved if we don't want to think differently? That's what mourning over sin is. Huh? Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall see the kingdom of God. He wasn't talking about people who cry. He was talking about people who mourn over their sin. That they see their condition. And they say, Lord, help me. But that's not an excuse to sin. That's more of a desire to set our eyes on the appetite of the spirit. And quit setting our eyes on the appetite of the flesh. If we want love to cover a multitude of sins, then we should be running to love. We should be handing out love. We should be vessels of love. I don't know if you guys remember the... the, um, I'm going to call it a story because I don't know that it's a testimony, but it's a story of the old man that would bring the dogs down every Friday night to fight them. And he'd go away every Friday night counting everybody's money. And they go, how does that guy know which dog is going to win? Which one to bet on? And he says, it's really simple. It's the one I feed the most. See, because if you're looking at your physical, carnal, earthly, Gentile, heathen desires of everything that the world's telling you to look at, and you're trying to get that stuff, you're feeding that, you're coveting that, you're chasing that, you're listening to the liar. But if you're listening to, for God's voice, And he's telling you to give yourself away to serve others, to walk in my spirit, to trust me by faith. Then you're feeding the appetite of the spirit. If you're getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship, you're feeding the appetite of the spirit. You're going to grow in that spirit. But if you continue to only feed yourself with TV and lies and books and carnivals and entertainment, don't be surprised when your physical appetites kill you destroy you, lead you away from, Plano is the word, to roam from safety, because Christ is our safety. He is our salvator. He's our hope. He's our future. And he first covered a multitude of sins with his body that died on a cross. What appetites are you feeding What mind are you listening to? What voice are you looking for? What phone? That's a voice, phone. Phone. We've rehearsed it for a couple weeks now. I like to keep repetitive. This is a great lesson. I shared with my doctor when I had a scan last week, and she said, I'll never look at my phone the same way again, ever. When I told her what the word for the voice of God was, she's reading through her Bible. It was a great conversation. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh, boy, that should be a memory verse, shouldn't it? That should be a memory verse. I looked it up. Guess what? Can you see the word hospital? See, the church, the body of Christ, the called out ones, the ecclesia is a spiritual hospital. It's a spiritual hospital, and we're supposed to be hospitable. Now, see, I see there's the gift of hospitality where you're always serving and inviting people into your house, but this says be hospitable without murmuring, grumbling, complaining, throwing a fit. Now, don't, just hold on to this for a minute. 
because it's uh, really a hard one to deal with. Listen, grudging is the King James, without grudging. And it means without secret displeasure. Listen to me. We're a spiritual hospital. We're helping people. Really? I'm using my gifts to serve others without grudging, without being mad that somebody else doesn't get it, without being displeasured or displeased because they're not where you're at. See, this speaks to me loud because I'm the pastor. I'm like, why don't they get it? Why aren't they doing this? And he's like, why don't you get it? I'm like, oh, that's shocking. Hospitable. Be a hospital without murmuring, without having displeasure. Now listen, it means without speaking ill against because they don't perform or do what you want when you're being a hospital. Hospitable. Without grumbling. As each one, pay attention, as each one, we could get a calculator, as each one, we don't have to figure this out, has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then he explains the gifting, verse 11. If anyone speaks, there's the speaking gifts, I'm doing it right now, let him speak as the oracles of God, the utterance of God, the scriptures, stay true to the oracles of God, His authority, His word. If anyone ministers, if you serve, if you're a servant, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. How's God going to be glorified? Through Jesus Christ. It all has to come through Jesus Christ. You cannot do any of this without the blood of Jesus, without the spirit that he sent back to help us and comfort us. And actually the spirit of God gives us the gifting, the graces of God. That's what they're called. To whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The glory and the dominion. It all belongs to Jesus forever. And dominion is strength, power, might, authority. So let's break this down a little bit. Verse 10. As each one has received a gift. A free gift. It's translated gift 15 times. It's translated gift two times. Or excuse me, free gift. It's charisma. It's a divine gratuity. It's a, a spiritual endowment or miraculous faculty. It's been given to you. Listen, if you believe in the precious blood of Jesus, you have at least one gift that's been given to you in that. At least one. Maybe more. Sometimes they work together. The Spirit can actually use you in gifting that you don't have, but if you're available to be used, He can use you for that instance. But each of us has got at least one specific gift that we're supposed to be using for the manifold grace of God. Because the grace of God is, is huge. When I think of a manifold, I know most people think of a car. I think of houses. 
Water manifolds, gas manifolds, they disperse gas. One gas line comes into a manifold and it disperses it out to many that go through the house. You might have seen it on, you go, oh, we only got one water hose on our house, so let's get one of those things that's a splitter. That becomes a manifold of two. That's manifold. That's two. It can go to three, four, five. I bought one the other day. Does it have to be four? I started to buy one with four the other day because of something I was doing at work. They're manifolds. That's what I think about. And the grace of God flows out differently for everybody. And as you go out with your gift, it flows differently. It looks differently because it's grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And different people need different kinds of grace. And you're supposed to be using your gift in order to have wisdom to know that. To be able to see where they're at and help them grow from there. Exhort them to move on. Allow your love to cover their multitude of sins, but encourage them to keep moving. Not to stop running. So each one of us has received a gift. Did you get your gift? See, typically, I say, did you get the gift of Jesus first? The greatest gift ever given. Did you open it? Is it on the shelf? Did you open it? Are you understanding the inheritance? Are you understanding what's there? All the power in the universe is now available to you because you're a joint heir in Christ. You've become royalty. You've become a believer priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? So that you can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. The only reason to go out and proclaim it. And as you proclaim it, what happens? The ministry of reconciliation of souls. Other people see it. Other people hear it. Now their perception, their conscience has a choice. Do I want to be co-in union with God or do I want to keep fighting against God? They have a choice. You're not responsible to bring them to salvation. We're responsible to use our gifting so that they can see that there's salvation. That they can see that there's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. I was talking with a Muslim the other day. I can tell you his name. I can tell you more about him. But I was talking with him. He didn't tell me he was a Muslim. But he began to say he had a problem with the name of Jesus. He had a problem with this and that. And then he mentioned Allah. Then he talked about the Caucasus Mountains. Listen, Muslims will always talk about race. Because they think that white people are the devil. And now you see it all over. And we go, where'd that come from? Well, we know it came from the devil, but it also comes from Islam that white people are of the devil. Just like the United States is great Satan. Or is it the United States is little Satan and Israel's big Satan? Which one is it? Yeah, we're the, we're the great Satan, right? Because we're friends and we're protecting them. That's what I thought. I thought I said it right the first time and then I said, wait a minute. Anyway, listen to me. When somebody starts telling you that white people and everything about us came from the Caucasus Mountains, I can guarantee you it's a lie from the devil and it's Islamic. And I'm not mad at him. I began to share Jesus with him. And I told him that he was the spirit and that his problems not with the name of Jesus and not with the name of Allah. His his problems going to be at the throne room. When he gets there, it's not going to be about black or white or or Allah. It's going to be about do you, are you covered in the blood of Jesus, the only payment that God has ever made? Because spirits are not colored. Spirits are not black or white. So if somebody starts talking to you about this, about 
slavery or bondage or CRT or any of these things. Take them back that we're spirits, intense, that we need to make a decision. Take them back to the Bible. Don't argue this deception. See, because that's what they want you to do right now. They, they give you a problem, and then they give you two answers. And one of them's insane, and the other one looks like it's the answer. But really, if we're trichotomy, everything's about three, then there's a third answer. You have to go a little bit further and go back to what God said. Because they're not giving you the answer that God said. They're trying to fix their own problems without God. They have hypotheses, but they leave God out. So all of their answers are going to fall short of the glory of God. So you always want to say, whoa, 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 you left God out. Wait a minute. You're creating the problem. You're causing the problem. You're trying to answer the problem. You must be working for the devil because that's what he does. There was no problem in the garden, and he created one, and then he tried to fix it, and we all are born with a sin nature now because of it. It's just death culture. Kill God's word. Kill God's character. Kill God's nature. It's not your spouse. It's not your boss. You need to draw near to God and surrender. Okay, how did I get over there? Where were we at? You received a gift. You receive it? Did you receive the gift of the precious blood of Jesus? Well, with that gift, then there comes another gift. You become part of the body of Christ. You get another gift, and now you're supposed to be using that gift for the manifold grace of the body of Christ. For others. Giving that to others as good stewards. I should not leave that out because it, you don't own that gift that he gave you. He owns you. And since now you're his possession, he gave you graces, gifts, spirituals, it's called in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that you're supposed to use for others. He gives you something to be a steward of. He wants you to manage his house. Have you opened that gift? Now, see, you can see this in the Old Testament, too. I don't know if you know it. What chapter is it? It's in uh, Genesis um, 24. When Abraham sends the Holy Spirit, oh, no, Eleazar, which means one who comes alongside, it's his head servant, back to his father's house to get a bride for Isaac. Isaac is the type of Christ. Rebecca is her name. She's a type of the church. When this servant gets there, he sees, he's like, oh, he's praying. He's worshiping Abraham's God. He's saying, how will I know who it is for my master's son? How will I know? And the Holy Spirit says to him, whoever comes out to get water, that's the one. And here comes Rebecca to get water. See, he's led by the Spirit. He's seeing the Spirit. She's already working. She's already looking for water. And she's not only just a worker, she ends up drawing water for all 10 of his camels. And listen, they say that a camel, one camel can drink 30 gallons of water. So she draws all of this water. But she's doing it in the strength of the Lord. And see, it's a picture of the church. But what does he do when he sees her? He goes, there it is. And he gives her a gift, right? One bracelet. Puts that bracelet on her. She runs and tells her family. Now, her family, Laban, 
He's like, hmm, there's some money in this. See, his heart's in the wrong place. So he wants to meet this messenger, this one that Abraham has sent, the Holy Spirit, so he can get some money. And so he keeps him there for a long time. He's trying to keep him there. Okay, what can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? What can I get out of this? And he's like, he keeps saying, I got to go. I got to take Rebecca and go. And he's like, oh, no, it's not right that you should take her right now because she has to stay with her own family for a while first. And he goes, we'll let her decide. So listen, because it's your choice. The Holy Spirit's here. The water's available. You can drink all you want. You can have as much power and supply, and, and you, can, you can use it for God's glory as much as you want, but it's your choice. So they ask the girl, Rebecca, and she says, I will go. What happens when she says, I will go? He gives her more gifts. He gives her more gold. He gives her more. Gold is always deity. Gold is always becoming like Christ. As you continue to step out of the boat, as you continue to go, God continues to give you more. But if you stay back, you don't get more. You have to trust by faith and go out, and he keeps growing you. He keeps giving you. He keeps taking care of you. And then she goes on this 500-mile trip on a donkey or a camel and never says anything. And you don't even see her or hear about her again until what? When we see Isaac in the field. Isaac is the type of Christ. When he appears, our life will appear with him. We're hidden in Christ Jesus right now. Our flesh means nothing. It's our spiritual life. And the first gift is salvation. But after that gift, if you will go and you'll be sanctified, there's more gifting that you use that he supplies according to his power and his ability to not only sanctify you, but to be a servant to others. And those giftings come in speaking gifts and in service gifts. That's, the only, that's really the only kind that they are. And let's look at them. Let's look at them one at a time. There's in three different places in the Bible. Go to Romans 12 first. It's going to take forever. Uh, Romans 12 first. Paul writing to the church in Rome. 12.3 will begin. I want you to see these because... Now, don't, don't forget that one and two is, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, according to the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he goes into a text on gifting. See, if you're still trying to be conformed to this world, you're still pursuing this world, listening to the voice of this world, of sin and self and Satan, and you're not looking for what God's will is and what He's called you to do to lead you out. If you're not drinking of the water of the Spirit and getting into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, then you miss verses 1 and 2. Verse 3 says, For I say, now listen how he says that. Why does he say it? Through the charis that God gave me. Listen, he's not saying this out of Paul's own ability. He's saying what he's saying out of the gifting that God gave him in the speaking gift. Look what he says. It's charis. It means the goodwill of God, the pleasure of God, the favor of God. Through the gifting of God, 
that was given to him, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, seriously. This is how we should be living. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's given us faith. Some people have more faith than other faith. There's even we're going to see in verse or in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that there's the gift of faith. All of us have been given faith, but you can grow your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As we see his faithfulness. It's actually one of the fruits of the spirit, faithful. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. All the members do not have the same, listen, King James's office. All the members don't have the same work. Or here it is, we all don't have the same acts. Huh? The book of Acts. Remember I told you the title when we were going through the book of Acts? We call it the book of Acts today, don't we? They used to call it the Acts of the Apostles. But the true title of the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. That's the original title, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, so that the focus stays upon the power, the ability, the furnishing, the Spirit of God that's leading the disciples of God to do the work of God for the glory of God. But what does the world do? As we continue to grow, we think we're getting smarter, but we're really getting rid of the power of God. And we have a form of godliness which denies the power. So listen, each one of us are members of the body of Christ, and we each one have different work, different acts, different function, a different office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Did you guys know that? spiritual realm we are members of one another so what you do affects me what i do affects you we're all the body of christ and christ is the head we all get our orders from him when you are putting on the mind of christ when i'm putting on the mind of christ the spirit of god is doing the same thing always reconciling souls witnessing of jesus when we're doing it together we become this perfect witness and people see our love for one another, and they can come to salvation. Or at least they have a choice to choose. Then he says in 6, Having then graces, gifts, differing according to the charis of God, the gift of God that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, prophecy is a speaking gift, it means to foretell the word of God, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, that's a serving gift, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches, speaking gift in teaching. He who exhorts, listen, is that a speaking gift? It's both, isn't it? it can, you could exhort somebody by speaking, you could exhort somebody by serving. By your actions. So that can be both. Exhortation. It means to call near. He who gives. Look there. There's a gift. The gift of giving. Jesus gave himself away. Neil always says, I have the gift of receiving. That's the church today. They have the gift of receiving. They're sitting around waiting for somebody to give them something. When they've already been given everything 
that there is to give. The greatest possession of God was already given to us. There's no more that God can give us. It's already laid out on a table, a banqueting table, and we don't come and open it. We don't come and receive it. We don't walk in it. We keep listening to the lies of sin and Satan and self. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, not begrudging. See, when we do these things, we can become more like God than anything else in the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's an easy way to remember them. They're both in chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, Paul again writing to the church at Corinth. Oh, it's backwards. First Corinthians. I was going the wrong way. It's in the New Testament, right? Chapter 12. If you read chapter 12, 13, and 14, you see everything going on. In fact, the gifts are explained in a believer's meeting in chapter 14. It tells you how to use the gifts. I believe that the... Uh, um, framing of our church today is not evil but the practices that we have where you have one guy up on a stage when the ground is level and everything that we're doing is not necessarily biblical we even have people in the streets and we're inviting people in that's not safe but we'll see when we get to Ephesians the next text that everything about this meeting right now is for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry to go serve to go serve in public to go be stretched out with fervent love, so that not only the church will be ministered to, but other people will see that there's a living difference in your life because of the Spirit of God, because of the truth of God. Let's just start with 12.1 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning spirituals, notice that gifts is in italics. It's not in the original text, just spirituals. What does spirituals mean? It means not carnal, not of the flesh. They're supernatural. He's talking about now concerning your spiritual gifts. So our, our uh, uh, interpreters, they put that in there for you so you can understand what he's saying. And then he says, brethren, because he knows that only the church can get spirituals. I do not want you to be ignorant. I know that's a terrible word. And it? it means unlearned that you shouldn't know. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Remember? Peter just said this, no longer following Gentiles now that we're saved, but that we should be looking for the will of God. This is what Peter just said. So they agree. The gospels agree or the, the word of God agrees always because it's all being done in the spirit. We shouldn't still be carried away by dumb idols. We shouldn't still be practicing the Gentiles flesh or the heathen flesh or the, the desires of the flesh. We should be led by the spirit now. See that? however you were led, to and fro. We're going to see this uh, in Ephesians 4, 2. All three of these texts line up together. Therefore, I make known to you, this is his speaking gift, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Um, there are a diversity of graces, spirituals, gifts, our interpreters have put that word in there to make us understand what's going on. But the same spirit. There are differences of ministries. 
I believe the first diversities there is the speaking gifts. I believe they're defined um, in Ephesians 4, where we're going to go next, different ways of using the speaking gifts. Uh, and then he said a differences of ministries, which, of course, would be the servant gifts, but the same Lord. And listen, we're all called to be servants because that's what Jesus was. But sometimes you have a gift that's different than speaking. But all of us are called to be servants, and your main gift could be the gift of helps. I, I have the gift of helps. I have the gift of evangelism. I have the gift of pastor-teacher, I believe. So I, that's why I say you can have more gifts. But some there is a main gift, and others become part of what the Spirit uses you for. Verse 6, and there are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all. It has to be by God's ability, by God's spirit, God's calling. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. See that? One another ministry. You don't have your gift. You haven't been given the spirit to look at self and say, I, 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 and to stay focused on you. But you've been given what you've been given for the profit of the whole body, for all. Because God is still in the world speaking. God is still in the world saving. God is using us. We're his hands and his feet. It's not for you. It's not to draw attention to you. It's to glorify God. For to one is given. Notice it's a gift. It's given the word of wisdom. That's a speaking gift. What's the word of wisdom? Well, the word of wisdom is having supernatural wisdom about something that you shouldn't know. Huh? It's like I was talking about earlier, when I tear my washer apart and I have no idea how a washer is built, and I go, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I don't have the money to call a mechanic to fix this thing, and I open it up, and he's like, well, right there's the problem, and you fix the problem, you have wisdom to do that without ever knowing it. It's not knowledge, it's wisdom. Knowing something about somebody is different than wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to do it, knowledge it's being able to say, hey, you need to stop it. The next, that's the next speaking gift. To another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit. We used to have believers meetings all the time in Lafayette, and we were having a believers meeting, and the spirit kept telling me to get up, prompting me to get up. And I was a young Christian, and I wouldn't get up. But he wanted me to get up and say somebody was sleeping in another bed and cheating on their wife, and I wouldn't do it. A little while longer, one of our elders, it turns out, was sleeping with another woman. He was in the room the whole time. That was a word of knowledge, something I should never know about. But God gave me knowledge of it and wanted me to get outside of myself, die to flesh, and get up and say it no matter what happened. I didn't do it, but God still had his way. He still found him out. He was chastised. He's divorced from that woman now. Not trying to point at him, I'm just talking about knowledge. It's an example. God will give you knowledge about something. As I'm teaching the Word of God, the reason I trust the Spirit to do it is God might give me knowledge of what to say while I'm talking, and He gives me the Word of knowledge, and I say something about a text that's not even involved in it, and, and it, somebody gets it and goes, wow, okay, that's, that's for me. And it's a word of knowledge specifically for you, but it has nothing to do with what's going on. This is how the Spirit works and does it all for the profit of all. 
to another faith. There's the gift of faith. We all have faith, the mustard seed of faith. We can grow it. But it's that person that says, okay, when everything goes bad, you can still, they still say, let's trust God. Let's go. And you move forward. They have faith. They have more faith than others. That's why he's saying love covers a multitude of sins. We're all at different places growing different ways. But these are spirituals. These are graces of God. And we need to learn how to trust and have mercy on others that don't have the same faith as us. It's by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healings. That service, you wish to heal somebody. Isn't that a gift of ministry? Isn't that a gift of service? It may be speaking if you cast out something. Could be used together. But there's healings. It doesn't look like Benny Hinn on TV. It doesn't look like this fake fraud stuff you see. But people get healed all the time. Because God's the great physician. He wrote the original science book. We need to quit listening to men who don't know God who are writing science books. We need to quit listening to people who don't know God who are telling you about pharmacy. It's sorcery. Always include God in it. Doesn't mean that everybody's evil, but they can be used by the evil one to deceive you. You always trust God, all things through prayer, always in the service of God. To another, working of miracles. Miracles still happen. Supernatural things happen all the time. Another prophecy, foretelling the word of God. See, we, we always think that prophecy is like telling the future. It can be if it lines up with Scripture. But mainly, prophecy is just foretelling what the Word of God says through the supernatural graces and gifting of God. Discerning of spirits. That's a good one. Judgment of a spirit. Judgment of something somebody says. Judgment of some spirit that comes and tries to tell you something that's not true according to the Scriptures. Benny Hinn would be a good one again. You have to have discernment. You can't believe everything, especially if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. To another, different kinds of tongues. Yes, tongues exist. Everybody doesn't speak in tongues. He deals that. He deals with that down in um, uh, verse 30 when he rhetorically says, do all speak in tongues? No, we'd all be one big mouth if everybody spoke in tongues. But we're a spiritual body that all have a diversity of gifts, different gifts. And then he makes up the whole body with him being the head. To another interpretation of tongues. Because if somebody speaks in a tongue of an angel or an unknown tongue, don't you need somebody to interpret it? Same way the Spirit of God gives uh, the gift of teaching, the gift of uh, uh, preaching. He gives interpretation of spiritual languages. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. See that? As He has pleasure. According to His mind. According to what He knows He's doing. It's His deliberate mind, His intention. That's what His will is, according to His will. Let's go on to verse just a minute here. For as the body is one, all of us are one body, and as many members, we're just many of us in the same body, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. That's a spiritual thing that happens that brings us into the body of Christ when we believe in the precious blood of Jesus. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether slaves or free, notice no color was involved there. 
because we're spirits with a body, not bodies with a spirit. What color we were. Listen, when you tell somebody that, that, that they are evil because they're white or they're evil because they're black, you're saying that God messed up. That's death culture. You're killing God. God gave us all our color. I had no choice what color I was going to be, what I was going to be born, but I do have a choice whether I'm going to be reborn and realize that this is all spiritual war. It's all deception, and I don't want to be in their battle. I want to bring them back to God. So when they're battling about black, white, green, and blue, I want to tell them about the spirit that is in me and you. I want to tell them about the spirit that is going to live eternally somewhere And it's in the bondage of sin right now if it's still arguing about the color of somebody's skin. And we need to come back to Jesus. Don't get lost in the fray. The crux of the matter is the cross of Jesus Christ. Not black or white. We've all been made, 13C, to drink one spirit. You're going to drink the water? You're coming out to get the water. Remember Rebecca? We're supposed to be handing out. As stewards of the manifold grace of God, we're supposed to be handing out the word of God, the truth of God, the water of God, telling people to follow the spirit of God, to believe in God, their salvation in no other name. We're all drinking, partaking of one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then he goes on to talk about, we're not going to go through it, we're going to go to Ephesians 4, but he begins to tell you which part you are, and that every part has a purpose, and every part is necessary. But the more modest parts we keep hidden. You know, you might not see my feet, but I needed my feet to get here. You might not see who cleans the church, but we need people to clean the church to be a presentation to people coming here. You might not see who gives uh, money to the church. You might not know who does those things. But it all takes all of that in order for the body of Christ to get the message of God to other people. We're all in this together. 4-7 is where we're going to start in the the book of Ephesians. We'll close this up after we finish this. But we really need to see that if you've been given salvation and you've received that free gift and you begin to open it by the power of God and the ability of God, that there's gifts, talents, and abilities that you need to be attributing to God and walking in them and stop living the way we always lived as heathens. Stop pursuing the carnal life. Yes, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. These things don't matter. If my truck breaks down, then goody, I get to speak to a mechanic. I was blessed. I took my truck to a mechanic. Somebody else's car had broke down. I was able to speak to somebody that I hadn't seen in a couple years and talk to them because they were very sick. And they don't believe in God. But now because I was there, they may believe in God now. Seeds were planted. I was able to give a 10-minute sermon in the whole room where other customers thanked me for speaking up and for praying for the room. But is that me? No, God's to be glorified. That's my supernatural graces that I'm an evangelist. That's my supernatural gifting that I walk in every single day. God has blessed me to be able to share with two or three different people, no matter where I go, the goodness of God. 
no matter who they are, places that other people don't get to. But it's God's gifting. It's God's grace. And you need to find out what the will of God is for your life, what the gifting is for your life. Not just go, okay, I'm saved. I get to go live like a heathen still and do what I want. You've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus for a reason. Look at 4.3 of the book of Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given. This is the word charis again. Gifts, spirituals, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. God gives them. He knows what he's doing for each person. Therefore, he says, we just read about this in Peter a couple weeks ago. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. 4.9 of the book of Ephesians. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things, fulfill all things. And now we get to the text I really want you to see. And he Jesus, who sent the Spirit back to do the work for Him, to be the power in our lives, He Himself gave, here's the gift, some to be apostles. See, He gave these to the church. He gave these giftings to the called out ones, the ecclesia. Apostles means one sent forth. This is the people that go and plant churches. This is the people that go out And they let go of the roots and the tent pegs and they move forward to tell others to reach the uttermost parts of the earth. One sent forth. Some prophets, those are the ones that foretell the word of God. The modern day prophet movement, I believe it's evil. They make their word above God's word. Nothing is above God's word. It's his voice we want to hear. We don't want to hear a modern-day prophet try to tell us that there's something new. If it's new, it's not from God. If it's from God, it's not new. Everything he wants to say to us is contained in the Scriptures. Listen, will he give you wisdom? Will he give you knowledge? Will he tell you stuff? It'll always line up with his character, nature, in the Scriptures. It'll never be outside of that. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what I said to somebody last week that told me that we're not under law. I said, but God's heart hasn't changed. I've been set free to follow God. So his word still applies to me, whatever he said in the Old Testament. I just don't follow the ceremony and the civil law. There's a principle there that needs to be followed. But God still doesn't want me to prostitute my daughter. Does he? Anybody figure that out? And they say, well, I'm not under law. Well, then you can go prostitute your daughter. Then it'll be okay. No, you can't. We all know that morally and rationally. And we don't even need to be a Christian to know that. Christ was the end of righteousness concerning the law. But he's not the end of the law. He said himself, not one jot or tittle will pass away until all things are fulfilled. I'm not under law, though. I'm under grace, the gifting of God, the manifold grace of God, and that is above the law. Now, if I just hate somebody in my heart, I'm already a murderer. I didn't have to go murder them. Now, if I just look at a woman in lust, I'm above the law. 
I'm already an adulterer. I didn't have to go touch them. That's above the law that says thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now if I just covet my neighbor's stuff, I don't have to go get it. I just have to, to want it. Then my heart moves away from God. I'm above the law. That's what grace is. Grace is supernaturally because we've been set free. But the law hasn't went anywhere. It's still there. You and I just cannot be saved by keeping the law. The only way anybody can be saved is by believing in the blood of Jesus. And it sets you free from the bondage of the law, the bondage of sin, the bondage of this world. And it gives you eyes to see that we're spirits in a spiritual realm that have this little tent that hold us down. But one day we're going to fly away. We're going to fly away one day. The graves are going to open and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will meet the Lord in the air and thus we'll always be with him. That's amazing. Meanwhile, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. See, we're all witnesses, the speaking gifts. We're all supposed to be witnesses with our serving gift, with our speaking gift. But some have supernatural ability to share the gospel with others. That's an evangelist. Some pastors, that's able to be able to, to, to pastor or herd people around. And some are teachers, that they explain what the scriptures mean. They, they help you understand doctrine. They break it down a little better. What's it for? Why did God do that for the body? Why do I have a mind? Why do I have my hands for the equipping of the saints? To equip, to prepare you to do what? The work of the ministry. Therefore, we know that everybody's supposed to be doing some kind of work, either speaking or serving somewhere, the ministry, for the edifying, the building up the body of Christ. How long, Greg, till we all come to the unity of, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, till we all become like Christ. We see Him face to face for the rest of our physical life. That we should no longer be children, no longer be babes, no longer be unlearned or ignorant, as Paul said, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Wind of doctrine. No, we have the word of God. We have the truth of God. It's here, 66 books, 40 authors. We don't have to wait for somebody to go, hey, they're doing a new thing over there. Every wind of teaching, actually, by the trickery of men. Really? You know what trickery is? Slight in the King James. It means to roll the dice. When you can know the word of God, the will of God, the ways of God, the, because of the Bible, why would you roll the dice and chase everything that's a new wind of doctrine? That's what it means, because what they used to do is play dice. They roll the dice, and they could cheat with dice. And so they're using that word here because that culture knew about it because people wouldn't play dice with a bunch of shysters. I could tell you stories. I'm going to stay out of that. Be careful with the trickery of men, men's doctrine, the synagogues of Satan, when it's not God's spirit and God's word. In the cunning craftiness, of deceitful plotting, 
That's the word methodia, where we get the wiles of the devil in Ephesians 6. Their methods. This is, this is what it is. They have their cunning. They have their craft. It's all flesh. It's the world. It's not the spirit. And they deceitfully, then they plot how they can deceive people with their methods and get their money. But speaking, this is what we're supposed to do, speaking gifts, speaking to one another, speaking the truth in love. You know what that looks like? When we were in Revelation 3, Friday, speaking the truth in love, it says that God, as many as I love, I rebuke and chastise. The word rebuke means to tell a truth. And that's what he's saying here is to tell the truth in love. Because you don't want people to go sideways. You don't want people to end up in a ditch. That's why we speak the truth in love. So that we can all grow up in all things into him. Not in Harvest Chapel, into Christ. We want to look like Christ. We want to be edified to follow Christ. We want the Spirit of God to lead us in Christ. We don't want cunning craftiness to get people through the door. We want the Spirit of God to bring people into the church of God. Not going to be doing any giveaways soon. Well, who is Christ? He's the head. He's the mind that we need. We need to get our marching orders from Him. He's the mind we need to have. From whom the whole body joined and knit together to tapestry by what every joint supplies. That means we're supposed to be all giving back to, not, no, 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 not money. I'm not talking about money. The supply of your gifting, the supply of your ministry, the supply of your stretching yourself out, the supply of you understanding that we're ministering to one another. This is not about money. The kingdom of God is not about money. God's economy is in people. It's not in money. But each joint should be supplying. Each member should, should be giving of themselves to the body of Christ. Not living their own life in the world and ignoring other souls. Staying focused on self. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. We all are serving or speaking. We're doing our share. And it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. See, that's why it's hard because as we start to iron sharpens iron and we start to see each other and we go, wait a minute, they're not doing what I'm doing. You got to get your eyes off of that, get your eyes back on love. And without grudging or displeasure, you have to keep being faithful. That's all you've been called to do is be faithful with your gift, faithful with what you're doing, and God will deal with his other servants. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. I just want to give you a second witness, just like Peter said, not in the Gentiles, in the futility, the depravity of your mind, the corruption of your mind, the perversion of your mind, because we have the mind of Christ now. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. See, we're trying to live the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Notice where they go astray. The hardness of the heart, the place of the heart. I won't receive the word of God in my heart. I won't obey the word of God in my heart. So I become darkened and hardened. 
who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. And then here it is. But you have not so learned. That's the word doctrine. That's the word teaching. Christ. If indeed you have heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Him. And have been taught by him. As the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. Are you looking upward? Are you looking for a spiritual, eternal perspective? Or are you still looking for for a carnal, physical life? Listen. We don't have a carnal life anymore. We carry this dead body around with us, but everything that we do in the body of Christ is spirit. And we have to get that in mind. When people want to talk to us about carnal, bring them back to the spiritual realm. Confront them with the truth of God's word. The manifold grace of God. Let's go to our text in Peter chapter 4. Let's close this out. We all have been called to be stewards. Hand out the resources from the kingdom of God, from the storehouse of God. Listen, you're a steward. You're a manager. You're not the owner. In fact, you don't even own yourself. You've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, I left that out, didn't I? The word created. Ooh. I left that out. We got to get back to that. I was supposed to leave that. I put that in. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, Back in Ephesians 4, where he said, um, four twenty four, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. Listen to what created means. It means made. In God, in true righteousness and holiness. But listen, it's through the idea of proprietorship of the manufacturer. Who made you new? Who's the authority then? He has proprietorship over you. He can shape you according to his will, according to his pleasure. He can give you gifts according to his good pleasure. He has proprietorship over us because he created us. He has come and saved us, and he gives us new life. So let me ask you, who is your authority? Who are you hupotassoing to? Is your life winding upward? Are you on the grow? Are you moving away from things down here, death culture? Or are you still being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine according to the cunningness and the craftiness and the trickery of man. See, God doesn't want you listening to man. You're not listening to man right now. You're supposed to be listening to the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God says anything, you should receive it with meekness. Your relationship is when you hear God's voice and He knows you and you follow Him. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual gifting. Now you receive it. You're hearing from God. You're not hearing from me. 
And if it was for me, throw it on the ground. It won't bear any fruit. You have to look to come to God, not man. You're coming to God to hear from Him. Whether it's somebody else's spiritual gifting or not, you have to have that personal love relationship with Him. Quit running from Him. He loves you. He died for you. He poured out His blood for you. He's created you new. But you have to come to Him and get that spiritual, eternal perspective and stop fearing man. Stop fearing their plan, their lies, and begin to fear God and trust God and believe God and be led by the Spirit of God in your gifting to do the work of God for the glory of God because it's His dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Father, thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. Thank you that you have called us out of darkness. May we proclaim your praises and give you glory. Even so, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear?